we hear from you. I pray that you would encourage us uh, as we sing that song, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul. I was reminded of just how weary I feel, uh, physically particularly, um, and I think all of us probably can relate to that, and the, the newness of the school year is wearing off, uh, the first round of tests are here, the papers and the projects are coming, uh, and so, Lord, we need you. Uh, we need you to come and to encourage us and to help us. Uh, and we pray that we wouldn't um, we wouldn't shy away from hearing from you in your word, even if it challenges us. But that it would actually be uh, life to us tonight. That it would be food for our souls. And so would you come and open up this commandment to us? But would you also show us Jesus uh, through the second commandment as well? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Let me be honest. The second commandment for me is a little difficult. And I struggled with it this week. And the main reason I struggled, and really Christians for centuries have struggled, uh, and the reason why is because... If you look at the first commandment, if you have your Bible, if you could look at the first commandment, at first glance, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of difference between the two, does there? But let me try to bring out the subtle distinction between the first and the second commandment. The first commandment has to do with worshiping and serving the right God. If you were here last week, we talked about that we must reject our idols the idols that exist in our hearts, in order to worship the true living God. That's the first commandment. The second commandment is different in that it is about worshiping the right God in the right way. In other words, the second commandment is not as much about whom we worship. It assumes that we're worshiping the true God. It is much more about how we worship. That is the subtle distinction between the first and second commandment. Now, when you hear that, if you're like me, I initially think, now, yes, but doesn't it sound like God's being a little nitpicky? Doesn't it seem nitpicky? Well, why would God do that? Why would he make that subtle distinction? Think about it this way. Creating an image of a person is one of the most insulting things that you can do to them. To treat a person as you wish they were, rather than treating them as they truly are, is a recipe for disaster. And it will absolutely destroy all of your relationships. Let's just use the dating relationship, for example. Because that is really what often leads to the breakup. You start out in a dating relationship and you have this image of another person. And then you get to know that person and you spend more and more time around that person. You know, and at the beginning they're putting their best foot forward, but over time that begins to wane. And you get frustrated with the person because that image that you have of them becomes tarnished. Because they're not the person that you wish they were or that you thought they were. 
And so in that moment, what do you do? Well, you reject them or leave them or break up with them or you do what lots of people do. You gut it out and you say, well, once we get married, it'll be fine. It'll work itself out. And you know that that's not true because if you marry someone and you constantly force them into the image of someone that they're not, into who you want them to be rather than who they are, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to have to have a really rocky first couple of years of marriage and you're going to become extremely frustrated and guess what? They will eventually get sick of it. Why? Because they are, are a unique person whom God has created in his image. And they will not be molded into the image of who you want them to be. Because they are who God's created them to be. And without the freedom for them to be who God's created them to be, it will absolutely suck the life right out of the relationship. Friends, God is the same way. God is a person and he wants us to worship him for who he is, not for who we want him to be. And that is the whole reason why he's given us the second commandment. God gives us the second commandment not because he's nitpicky, but think about it this way. God gives us the second commandment because he loves us and because he actually wants to protect our relationship with him and keep us from destroying it by making him into someone that he's not. Tonight we're going to look at two questions briefly. If you can see those on the outline printed before you. How do we break the second commandment? And secondly, what prevents us or how do we keep from breaking the second commandment? Let's look at number one. How do we break the second commandment? The second commandment says that you are not, you and I are not to make God, the, uh, to make visible the invisible God. What is a graven image? Well, a graven I- image by definition is this, a human or man-made image, whether physical or mental. It is absolutely forbidden for us to create images in our heads that make God into who we want him to be. Why is that? Tim Keller says that when we create these physical pictures of God, we will always conceal what God wants to reveal. We will always con- it will always conceal more than it will reveal. It will conceal the very reality of what God wants to reveal about himself. Let me translate. When we make visible representations of God, it hijacks our heart and keeps us from worshiping and truly worshiping God for who he is. You know what's interesting is if you look, fast forward about 12 chapters to Exodus chapter 32, and it's ironic, isn't it, that it's just a few chapters after God gives these commandments, that we see the people of God worshiping a golden calf. And what's interesting about that story, you ought to read it sometime, God didn't condemn them for worshiping the golden calf. You know what he condemned them for? 
for worshiping God and worshiping him through the golden calf. That's why God was offended. Because God is saying, a calf might depict my, might depict my strength and my power, but a calf cannot depict my righteousness and my gentleness and my mercy. It will conceal those things. And so you can't have one without the other because if you have one without the other, you don't have me. You see, they were worshiping God in their image. They were, and that's why he condemned them. They were worshiping God and worshiping the way that they wanted him to be rather than worshiping him for who he truly was. And that is, a, is, is as offensive to God as it is to you and me. There's a really, really funny illustration that illustrates this point. But it's also a pretty sad expression, too, of the second commandment. And it took place in the movie Talladega Nights by Will Ferrell. And if you've seen that movie, and that is way, people have said, you're always spoiling movies. That's way old, so you just have to deal with it if you haven't seen that movie yet. So it's like 2006 or maybe before then. So anything over a year old is legal and fair game for me to use. There's this incredible scene, I mean double over laughter scene if you've seen the movie, where they're all around the dinner table and Will Ferrell, who plays Ricky Bobby, is saying grace. And here's how he starts his prayer. Dear little baby Jesus, thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the delicious Taco Bell. Please, baby Jesus, come with your baby Jesus powers and heal, and heal Chip's leg because it smells so bad. And then in that moment, his wife interrupts him and she says, Ricky, don't you know that Jesus did grow up? He didn't remain a baby forever. And then Ricky Bobby, Will Ferrell, responds and says, Well, I like the Christmas Jesus best. And he says, if I'm saying grace, then I can use the grown-up Jesus, teenage Jesus, bearded Jesus, or whatever Jesus that I care to use when I say grace. And then his friend interjects, if you remember, right at this moment, and says, I like to picture Jesus in a t-shirt tuxedo. Remember that? (laughs) And he says, because he's a little formal, but then it also indicates that he likes to party. And then to top it all off, you get this last effort here of breaking the second commandment where the guy jumps in and says, I like to think of Jesus with eagle wings singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with an angel, an angel band behind him while I'm slam drunk in the first row. And that's how the scene ends. Funny movie funny scene, but it's really at the heart of what we do with Jesus. You see, when we think about that movie, anytime, and we think about our own lives, anytime you or someone else says or thinks in their heart, I like to think of God as, almost always we are breaking the second commandment. Because we are making God into our image. We are trying to 
worship him for who we want him to be. Rather than worshiping God for who he truly is, we are concealing, to get back to the Keller language, the fullness of who God really is. And my question is, by point of application, is how do you do that in your own life? What are the things that you tend to emphasize, either in the Christian life or or tend to emphasize about who God is and what he's done? What character traits of God do you put over and above other things? That will reveal the ways that you are breaking the second commandment. Let me talk about one way, though, that I think that we do this, and it's very prevalent in Christianity today, and it's what I call the American dream Jesus. It's when we think that God loves us only when we get good grades, only when we make lots of money, have a good job, know lots of people, and have good health. You see, that's really what we want, isn't it? We want success and money and comfort, and we want a boyfriend and a girlfriend and children and a spouse, and we pursue those things, and with our self-indulgence, we baptize those things with Jesus and end up saying, look at how blessed I am. Look at all the things that God has done for me. God must really love me a whole lot. Because I'm successful. And because I have lots of stuff. Friends, that's what we call the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And there is a huge danger with that line of thinking. And here's two dangers of thinking that way. First of all, is we begin, if we kind of go down that line of thinking, we tend to think that we deserve the American dream. You know, the Bible says that in no way, shape, or form do you and I deserve the American dream. The Bible says that a great job, going to a great school, having great parents, having wealth, having a great marriage, having a nice retirement, living in a good house, the Bible says all those things are extra. That we don't deserve any of them and that we're not guaranteed any of them. The Bible says the only thing that we're guaranteed basically is the Holy Spirit. That is the blessing of being a Christian. And so here's what this means. That those are good gifts and we need to repent of our entitlement mentality. Because what this means is that we are not being cheated when life doesn't go our way. We are not being cheated when God suddenly takes something away from us. You see, life is a gift and God's blessings are not something that we deserve. It's something that He gives us through His grace and grace alone. That's the first danger. The second danger of thinking that God must really love me because I have success and I have all this stuff, is what happens when you don't have the success and all this stuff. For example, what happens when you don't get the boyfriend or girlfriend that you've always dreamed of? What happens when your marriage starts to fall apart or you don't get the great job or suddenly you go bankrupt? Well, the tendency, if you believe the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, is 
God hates me. He's mad at me. I've done something wrong. I must be in sin. And the problem with this thinking that is so prevalent is it actually conceals a truth about Christianity. And the truth is this, is that when you become a Christian, Jesus unites himself to you. And in doing so, promises, promises yes, tremendous blessing in some ways, because you get eternal blessings, but you know what else? When you are united to Christ, you're also united to Him in what? Suffering. You're united to Him in suffering. Remember, if you read the Bible, it always suffering comes before glory. There is no resurrection without a cross. There is no resurrection except through death. Christianity, friends, involves suffering. Think about Jesus. Let's just look at him. We could use tons of examples, but he was run out of town in nearly every place that he entered. His family disowned him. He was called a liar. He had no place to lay his head. And those that were considered closest to him actually headed for the hills when he needed them the most. And to top it all off, He was nailed to a cross for something that he didn't do. And so a carefree life cannot be the standard of God's love for us. You see, that's the danger of images. That's the danger of especially this the American dream image is that it destroys the way you and I, destroys the relationship and the way we relate to God. And it destroys the way we relate to the world. And we need to be very suspicious of any image that we have apart from the way God has revealed himself in his word. And that leads us to the second point. First thing is how do we break the second commandment? The second point we're going to look at is how do we prevent breaking the second commandment? How do we worship God in the right way? Well, in some, we worship God in the right way. First, we have to start letting God be heard on his own terms, don't we? Imagine for a minute that a married couple who's been relating the way that we've mentioned earlier, that being very disrespectful to one another because they're trying to create the other person in their own image. Imagine that goes on for several years. What do you think that marriage is going to be like? It's going to be very, very difficult, isn't it? There's going to be lots and lots of bitterness built up in one another's hearts. And sure, they might sit down and they might try to work that out with one another. But they don't get very far. They start missing one another and talking past one another. And do you think it's possible that one day one of the spouses could wake up and say, you know what, today I'm going to change my mindset and I am going to stop perceiving you in that way. Is that possible? Not really. (laughs) It's almost impossible. And so what do they do? Well, they go to something we call counseling. And you go to counseling because they are so 
entrenched in this. And they've developed this unhealthy patterns of the way they relate to one another that they need a word from the outside. They need someone who can speak objectively into their lives to come and to help them to see things that they cannot see so that they can begin to relate to one another in a healthy way. Friends, for the Christian, our counselor is the Bible. The Bible is the way that you and I understand who God is and what he's done for us. But here's the interesting thing. Not only does the, gospel, does the Bible come and show us who God is and what he's done, it's even greater than that. The Bible is a power, is a power in itself. Remember Hebrews 4 says that the Bible is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to penetrate the bone and the marrow. And the encouraging thing about that is that the gospel actually has the power to break through our flawed perceptions that we have about who God is and what he's done. The gospel has a power to break through so that we can really know God deeply. And that's encouraging. It reminds me of Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, you don't have to turn there, you can listen and read this at a later time, but it's really an interesting passage. The story is about a rich man who spends his life ignoring a beggar who lives on his property. They both die at the same time. One goes to heaven, the other one spends his life in eternal torment. And then the rich man interacts with Father Abraham because he's wanting to talk to Father Abraham about how he can avoid his five brothers who are alive, how they can keep from going to eternal torment. And you know what Father Abraham, how he responds? He responds very simply. He says, they have Moses and they have the prophets. Let your brothers listen to them. In other words, he says, they have the word of God. They have the Bible. And that is powerful enough to convince them. You know what? The rich man, he doesn't believe him. And he's like, no way. And so he responds by breaking the second commandment. And he says the only way they're going to believe is if someone comes back from the dead and convinces them. The rich man says that the only way they're going to believe is if you give them more data. The Bible nowhere in it says that the problem with man is that we don't have enough data. When we look at information, I think a strong argument could be made that we have too much information. You see, the problem is not do we have enough evidences for Christianity. The problem is that man doesn't like the information that we've been given. And so Father Abraham finishes up this parable and he sums it up and he says this, amazing. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. 
If they do not hear the word of God, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Man, that says to me and to you that our self-deception is so great that it's going to take more than a mere deposit of more information in order for us to break out of it. And that is why the Bible never describes itself as words about God. But the Bible describes itself as the very Word of God. You see, the whole point of this lesson is that you're never going to find God until you find Him in the place where He has revealed Himself with absolute certainty in His Word. And some of you say, yes, that's absolutely correct. But here's what often happens next. We often go to the Scriptures and we take what we love and what we like about God and we reject the things about Christianity and about God that are disturbing to us. And in doing so, if you come to the Bible that way, we break the second commandment. Your faith is a graven image and you have insulted God. And so then the question becomes, so what's the solution? Colossians chapter 1. Look at that on your outline. God has made Himself visible. I mean, the reason why God says have no images because He has given us the image in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the representation. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Look at verse 15. He's the image of the visible God. Verse 16, all things were created by Him. He's our Creator, and He spoke the Word, as Hebrews says in Hebrews 1, into existence along with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. At the very beginning of time, He spoke the world and created it with His very Word. Verse 17, in Him all things hold together. So not only is Jesus the Creator, but He's also the Sustainer. Verse 18, He's the head of the church. Verse 19, the fullness of God dwells in Him. Jesus reveals to us what we need to know about God. Jesus reveals what God wants us to know about Himself. Verse 20, Jesus is the Redeemer. He restores all things to Himself through His death on the cross. Jesus is the one who will make all the sad things come untrue. You want to know God? Look at Jesus. Not to the images that we create of Him. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for how we have made you um, into something that you're not. Father, would you help us to see, God, that your word is where we find out what you're like.
Your word is where we truly know who you are. And you've revealed yourself in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that if, uh, no, if there's someone here uh, that maybe doesn't know you, that you would draw them to yourself and give them faith. Father, you are our creator and you're the one that sustains and gives us life. We thank you for the gospel. Thank you for what you've done for us on the cross, for wiping away all of our sin. And not only that, for restoring on your second coming, restoring this world and making it new. Thank you for that hope and that promise that we have in the midst of all of our heartache and pain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.